And so today we're going to be in Philippians 1. We're going to look at verses 27 through 30. And so this is the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul by the power of the Spirit. And here's what he says to the Philippian church and to us today. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul wrote this so many years ago with Timothy there by his side. Lord, and he wrote it to a church, Lord, that was struggling in many ways, struggling with suffering, struggling to be unified. And so this letter comes to them, and and as your providence have brought it to us through human history, Lord, so that we might know what it is to live a life worthy of the gospel. So God, would you speak to us today? Use these four verses to shape us, to change us, to mold us to look more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things today in His name. Amen. I remember when I was a kid watching the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. show from the 80s and 90s, long before there was MTV Cribs, there was a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous where you would tour the lives of the rich and famous. You would tour their million-dollar homes. You would tour their million-dollar yachts. You would visit their million-dollar beach homes. And one thing that I realized, even as a little kid, that rich and famous people live like rich and famous people. I mean, if you've got money, you live like you've got money. If you've got fame, you, you live like you've got fame. If you've got connections, you, you live like it. If you're rich and famous, you live the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. And the show's host, Robin Leach, would always end each episode with a, a blessing over the viewers. He would say, may your life be filled with champagne wishes and caviar dreams. You see, he knew that all of us want to live a life that's worthy of something. Now, we we may not all be seeking riches and fame, but all of us are seeking something in life. We want a life of success, or maybe we want a life of happiness. We want a life full of entertainment and fun. Or maybe we want to be good parents, or we want to be good at our jobs. We want to be good at being religious people. Those things are not necessarily bad, but friends, there is a higher calling for us. There's something more worthy of giving our lives to. Really, there's someone more worthy of giving our lives to. You see, we've come to God's word today, and he's 
calling us to the joy of living a worthy life, a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, today God is going to show us that Jesus people live like Jesus people. If you've got the spirit of Christ, then you live like it. If you've got the hope of Jesus, you live like it. If you have got salvation in Christ, you live like it. Really, if you've got Jesus, you live like you've got Jesus. And that's what God is calling us to today. He wants us to stand firm in unity. He wants us to strive together in the gospel. He wants us to stay confident in suffering. And in all of this, he's calling us to let our lifestyle, the way that we live, to be worthy of the gospel. And I want us to see today that there is joy in that kind of living. So in our passage today, there's only one central command in verse 27. And then Paul gives us three ways to obey that command. So let's dig in. Look at verse 27. Paul begins with these words. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is the central command in our passage. It's, it's really the, the central command in the whole letter. This is the, actually the first command that we've come to. So Paul has greeted the Philippian church. He's prayed for the Philippian church. He has updated them on his situation in prison in Rome. But now in verse 27, he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the first command. And he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So the word that Paul is using here in this letter is all about living as citizens. Your Bible might have a footnote, mine does, down at the bottom that says, behave as citizens worthy. The Christian Standard Bible translates this verse, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. So this idea of citizenship is here behind this word. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony, and the people there were proud to be Roman citizens. Long before people were proud to be Americans, they were proud to be Romans. But Paul is reminding this church that before they are Roman citizens, they are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of Christ. They belong to Jesus. And because they belong to Jesus, they must live like it. They've got to live as citizens worthy of the kingdom of Christ. But notice what Paul is not saying there in verse 27. He's not saying, I want you to live a worthy life so that God can make you a citizen or so that you'll become a citizen of heaven. No, he's telling them you already are citizens of heaven. You're citizens of the kingdom of Christ, so live like it. You see, what Christ has done for us always comes before what we do for him. Jesus forgave us, so we forgive others. Jesus loved us, so we love others. What we do for Christ always comes after what he did for us first. I want you to remember that today. It's the finished work of Christ that redeemed us as his people. It's the only reason that we're citizens of heaven. You see, we don't earn our way in. We don't deserve our way in. We don't pray our way in. We don't pay our way in. We certainly don't good enough our way into the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of heaven because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. 
You see, our names are in the Lamb's book of life because the Lamb first shed His blood so that our names might be there. Jesus finished the work. He saved us to the uttermost. He freed us from condemnation. He gave us eternal life. We are citizens of heaven because the King of heaven, Jesus, made us citizens. Maybe you're here today and you're not a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Maybe you've never given yourself an allegiance to King Jesus. Well, today Jesus offers you this amazing salvation that anyone who would repent and believe in him could be saved today, right now, where you are in your seat. And you can be a citizen of heaven. So cry out to Jesus to save you if you've never done that. Repent of your sins and believe on his name and he will save you. He will make you a citizen of heaven. And if you have been made a citizen of heaven, then, friends, we're called to live like it. That's what this passage is about. You see, we're not first and foremost Americans. Your political party does not define you. Your identity is not in your job, your nationality, or your ethnicity, or the income that you have or don't have. None of that is the most important thing about you. If you are in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And that's what's most important about you. You see, our, our lives must be marked by the fact that we belong to Christ and his kingdom. You see, when people look at our lives, they should see Jesus. And, and not just some of the time. Notice what Paul says to the church there in verse 27. He says, whether I come to you and I'm there present or I'm absent, I want to hear that you're living worthy of the gospel. You see, we don't get a pass for living for Jesus on Friday nights. You can do whatever you want. It's Friday night, right? No. We don't only live for Jesus when people are looking at our lives. It does us no good to show up on Sundays with our Jesus face on if we haven't lived like it the rest of the week. We're called to live worthy of of the gospel every single moment of our lives because Jesus died and rose again for every single moment of our lives. He made us citizens of his kingdom, and so we need to live like that. We belong to him, and so we must live like it. And so if that's you today, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, then the call for you, the command for you today is to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let's live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. But how do we do that? That's a great question. And Paul tells us in the rest of our passage. So let's look and see now three ways that he tells us to live worthy of the gospel. First, Paul says, stand firm in the spirit. Stand firm in the spirit. In verse 27, Paul gives us the first way to live worthy. He he wants to hear that the Philippian church is standing firm in one spirit. And he's talking about our unity in the spirit of Christ. You see, one of the blessings of salvation that we have is that the spirit of Jesus dwells in his people. You see, the church is a holy temple of God. And I don't mean this building. I mean us, the people of God. The spirit dwells in us. So Paul asked the Corinthian church, do you not know that y'all are, are God's temple and that the spirit of temple of God dwells in y'all? 
I'm saying y'all because the Spirit doesn't just dwell in me and you. He dwells in us together as God's people. There is one Spirit. And so knowing this, Paul then calls us to stand firm in that one Spirit. Following Jesus wasn't easy for the Philippians. It's not easy for us. And so we're going to have to have some source of strength in order to stay faithful to Jesus. And Paul knows the strength can't come from them or us, but it comes from the Spirit of Christ. So in order to live worthy of the gospel, we must lean into the Spirit and His work among us together. You know, one of my favorite football movies is Remember the Titans. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or not. It's a true story of a high school football team in 1971. And it was the first year where their school was integrated with whites and blacks together. So the team is away at football camp, and these black kids and these white kids are struggling to get along. And so the coach wakes them up in the middle of the night, and they go for a run. So they're running through the woods, and then they stop eventually at a graveyard. It was Gettysburg one of the battle sites of the Civil War. And so the coach then gives them this speech about unity, and he tells them where, where they are. And, and he says, there was blood spilled in this field fighting the same war that we're still fighting today. He said to them, pointing at the gravestones, if we don't come together, we'll be just like them. We'll be destroyed. Of course, he's talking about more than a football team, right? He's saying that without unity among blacks and whites, that they're never going to be free. Instead, hate and racism would destroy both of them. He said blood has been spilled so that they could be one, and Coach Boone was calling them to be one as a football team. Brothers and sisters, blood has been spilled so that we can be one. Jesus shed his blood so we might be one. So that people of every color might be one. So people of every nation might be one. So that people of every class might be one. So that the bride of Christ, the church, might be one. And because Jesus shed his blood, he has the authority then to give us the Spirit. And so he has. We've received the Spirit, and in the Spirit we are one together. You see, Paul is not saying be unified in the Spirit. He's saying, no, you already are one in the Spirit. And so stand firm there in that unity that the Spirit works. Live in unity because of the unity you already have by the Spirit. Now, I don't think I have to convince you that there are massively divisive issues in our world today. I mean, politics are dividing us. Racism and The solution to it are dividing us. This pandemic has been dividing us. Dealing with abuse around us is dividing us. Sexual ethics are dividing us. I mean, just look around. You see a world massively divided. People are angry. People are frustrated. People are condescending and hostile to one another. But remember, we don't belong to this world. We are citizens of the heaven. We belong to Jesus, and we're called to live worthy. So here's one thing that I think we can do together is we can lean in to our unity in the Spirit. Like press into that unity that we have. So this might mean turning off Fox News for a little bit. It might mean getting off of social media for a while. 
It might mean muting all of the Ben Shapiro videos that you're watching all the time. It might mean skipping over some of the discernment blogs that you're reading. It might mean being less critical of one another, being less suspicious of one another, less judgmental of one another. You see, because we're one in the Spirit, we need to trust that the Spirit is working in other brothers' and sisters' lives, just as He's working in ours. Because we're one in the Spirit, we need to assume the best in one another, not assume the worst. Because we are one in the Spirit, we need to be filled with love and grace and understanding and forgiveness. So church, when we press into and lean into our unity in the Spirit, we can stand firm together. We can stand firm together then and live worthy lives of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let's stand firm together in the Spirit. The second way that Paul tells us to live worthy of the gospel is to strive together in the gospel. Strive together in the gospel. So Paul moves on to give us a second way to live worthy of the gospel. In verse 27, he wants to hear that the Philippians are with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. What Paul is using here is a military image. The Roman army was very skilled and very organized. It's what basically led them to take over the whole known world. They perfected the art of marching together in ranks. It's what we still do today in modern military. We learn how to march together. It helped them as they traveled from city to city, and it helped them in battle as well. I mean, fighting side by side with with a sword in your hand and someone at your right and someone at your left made them very successful in war. And so Paul is saying the Christian life is no different. We need to strive side by side, not, not waging a war, but for the sake of the gospel. We're fighting the fight of faith. We're called to do it together, side by side. And so when we strive side by side for the gospel, we're living worthy of the gospel. So what does that look like? How can we do that? How can we as Christ Fellowship strive side by side for the gospel? Let me quickly give you three very simply ways to strive side by side. First, be here. It's the simplest way to be To strive side by side is to actually be here and be side by side. It's going to be really hard to do that if you're not here. You see, Sunday gatherings are not just an option for the people of Jesus. They're they're necessary. Our gatherings are the primary way that we build one another up and that we strive together side by side. They're a time to celebrate the gospel and to call one another to living worthy of that gospel. And we don't just do this because some people way back in history thought it would be a great idea to start gathering together on Sunday mornings. We do it because Christ and the Word of God calls us to do that. And when we gather, we can then strive side by side for the gospel. Now, I'm not being legalistic here. I know you can be sick. I know you can be on vacation. I know you can go visit other churches from time to time. I know it's a crazy time to be telling people to be here when there's a global pandemic. I know people are concerned about COVID. Families like mine have had COVID. I I know things are not normal right now. I encourage us to make every effort to be here. 
I'm thankful that we're able to live stream the service on Sunday morning for people who can't be here because of COVID, but we're doing that for people who can't be here because of COVID. We didn't start it just so you could choose to be somewhere else and kind of listen in on Sunday mornings. Again, I'm not being legalistic. I'm saying it's important to be here. How can you be side by side if you're not here and not beside someone? So we need to be here on Sundays. We need to be here more than that, even on community groups and be here for family prayer and family meetings. Be here when we have ministry opportunities and outreach opportunities. So first, striving side by side actually starts with being side by side. So be here. Here's the second way to do that. Be connected. So be here and be connected. Being here is a great start, but it's not enough. The goal is not to check off Sunday morning service on your calendar. The goal is to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel among us. And we do that by being connected to one another. See, it's going to do you very little good to show up on a Sunday morning, sit through a service, head out the door as soon as it's over, and not have any kind of connection with anybody in your life. The value of the church gathered is not necessarily just what we do, although that's valuable, but who we do it with. It's those connections of the, with those around us. The pastor in, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We're like a big tub of sour cream, and we got to be stirred together or we're going to be runny and nasty. When we gather together, we need to be connected together. We can stir one another up to love and good works, as the author says there. So here's a question. Just ask yourself, who do I really know in this church? And who really knows me? Who do I really know and who really knows me? Who can I build a deep relationship for the gospel's sake with? I mean, maybe if you're feeling lonely or discouraged or depressed, maybe one of the reasons is you're not connected to the body of Christ. Maybe you're struggling with secret sin. The reason that it's secret is because you're not connected to anyone and you're not confessing your sins to a brother or a sister in Christ. There's no side-by-side -side action in your life, and maybe that's why you're struggling. Christ is calling us to connect deeply with one another, to massage the gospel into one another's lives. So let's strive side-by-side -by, -side by being connected. So be here, be connected, and then thirdly, be used. So this is where the work gets hard. To strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, we must be willing to let God use us. We must be willing to let God work through us for the good of others. You see, if you think church is all about what you can get out of it, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with this church. But if you're part of a faith family and you're here to be used by God to build up the family, then you're going to be living worthy of the gospel. Because even Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So open up your life, open up your home, open your calendar, open your heart to be used by God. You might be thinking, but pastor, I'm a mess. How could I ever be used 
to help somebody else. Listen to what author Ed Welch says in his book, Side by Side. He says, those who help best are the ones who both need help and give help. A healthy community is dependent on all of us being both. A good, connected, side-by-side community is dependent on us needing help, but also giving help. Because the truth is, all of us, at some level, are a mess in one way or another. And that's kind of the point. That's why we need to strive together side-by-side. There's, it's not like there's some, some of us running way far ahead and the rest of us are just kind of losers just trying to keep up. That's, that's not what the picture is here. We are all blood-bought sons and daughters of the king. We are all loved more than we could ever imagine by the king of heaven. And because of that, we then strive, by side, strive together side by side with one mind so that the gospel might be real in our lives, so that it might be displayed in our lives. So let's walk into this place saying, Jesus, use me. Let's pull up to a community group and say, Jesus, use me. Let's open up our homes to friends and neighbors and say, Jesus, use us tonight. Let's go out into our city saying, Jesus, use us. Let's strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. And let's remember we're waging a war together. Not a war against flesh and blood, but a war of faith. We're fighting for faith. We're fighting to trust the promises. We're fighting to rest in Christ. We're fighting to believe that the gospel really is true. And so, brothers and sisters, let's fight this fight together. Striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Let's strive together for the gospel. That's number two. So lastly, number three, stay confident in suffering. So Paul gives us this third way to live worthy of the gospel. And in verse 28, he wants to see this in the Philippian church, that they are not frightened by anything in their opponents. You see, they were facing opposition from their community for bowing the knee to King Jesus. They were being persecuted. They were suffering for their allegiance to Christ. But you see, Paul is reminding them that's not the proof that the gospel is not true. And it's not proof that God doesn't love them. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Really, their suffering is the proof that God has rescued the Philippian believers and will bring judgment upon their enemies. And then notice what he says in verse 29. It has been granted that you... that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That word granted is literally, it has been graced to you. It has been given to you as a gift. What a statement. Paul is saying that followers of Jesus have these two gifts, the gift of faith and then the gift of suffering. We get the gift of believing in Jesus, as he says there, but also the gift of suffering for Jesus. And then in verse 30, Paul reminds them 
of the suffering that he has faced in the past, and he's now facing in prison in Rome. But in all of this, he's calling the church not to be frightened. He's calling the bride of Christ to be confident in both the gift of faith and the gift of suffering. And it's this confidence that's going to lead them to live worthy of the gospel. Or to put it another way, suffering for Jesus is proof that we belong to Jesus and his kingdom. I mean, think about this. Why is Paul not losing his mind in prison in Rome? Why is he not doing everything in his power to get out of prison? Because he knows he's first and foremost a citizen of heaven, and he knows that suffering for Christ is a gift. So what does that mean for us? How can we not be frightened by our opponents? How can we be confident in our suffering? Well, first, we have to realize that there are brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering much for the sake of Christ. We have brothers and sisters suffering in Afghanistan, in North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Libya. These are just some of the most hardest places in the world to be Christians, and they are suffering much. So we need to pray for them. Really, we need to pray for them. But we also need to realize that suffering as a Christian is a call to suffer for Christ. We suffer in faith that God is working. We suffer in faith that the gospel is moving. We, we suffer in faith that Jesus is being glorified. We, we may not be persecuted much today, but we, we do suffer much. And when we suffer in faith, we're living worthy of the gospel. Because you see, the good news is all about a servant who suffered, right? About a savior who suffered to save his people. And when we look to the cross, that's when we can see suffering as a gift and not as something to fear. You see, this verse reminds us that suffering never catches God off guard. God is not sitting in heaven, whoa, surprised by our suffering. God is in control of even our suffering. And it comes to us, as hard as it is to understand, as a gift to us. But how? How in the world is suffering a gift? It, it reminds us that this world is not our home. It, it, it's a gift because it causes us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who saves and on God who raises the dead. Suffering is a gift because it's an opportunity to show the world that we belong to Jesus. And when we're ready to suffer, to receive suffering as a gift from God, that's when we're ready to live a life worthy of the gospel. I'm not saying that suffering is easy. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray against suffering. I'm not saying we should try to suffer. But when it comes, we should receive it as a gift. Knowing that God is committed to Christ and to Christ's work in our lives for our good, even through our suffering. So when it comes, we should not be afraid. You see, the same Savior who suffered and died is the same Savior who rose again on the third day. He's alive today at this very moment. He's our light and our salvation. And so if we're looking to him, whom shall we fear? So brothers and sisters, let's live worthy of the gospel by not fearing suffering for Jesus' sake. 
Let's stay confident even when we suffer for him. You know, I wonder what a reality show about our church would look like. I mean, what if somebody signed us up for a reality TV show, The Life of Christ Fellowship Church? They followed us around with cameras, microphones. What would the world see? If they set in on our Sunday gatherings, if they watched our community groups in our homes, if they recorded our conversations, they followed us at work, they saw us serving in the kids' classes on a Sunday morning, they saw us hanging out together, what would the world see? The fabulous life of Christ Fellowship Church, what would the world see? Would they see a pe- people living as citizens of this world? Or would they see a group of people living as citizens of heaven? Would they see a church full of division and hostility or a church full of unity in the Spirit? Would they see a community selfishly striving for their own goals and their own desires? Or would they see a community striving side by side for the sake of the gospel? Would they see a family grumbling and complaining or a family that welcomes suffering for the sake of Jesus? Friends, the truth is that we are not a reality show, but there is someone watching. The Lord above is watching us. Jesus is watching us. We are the body of him. And so the question that he is asking us today is, Are we going to live worthy of the gospel? Are we going to live the fabulous life of living worthy for the gospel of Jesus Christ? So my prayer today is that the answer would be yes. And I hope that's your prayer today as well. Brothers and sisters, would you join me in living our lives worthy of the gospel? Today Christ is calling us to live a life of gospel living, to stand firm together in the Spirit, to strive side by side for the gospel, to stay confident even in the face of suffering. You see, the good news today is that Jesus has lived, he's died, he has risen again so that we might live lives worthy of him. He saved us, he raised us, he made us citizens of his kingdom, and today he's calling us to live like it. So brothers and sisters, let's rejoice to live lives worthy of the gospel. Because you see, there's only one who is truly rich and famous, and that's Jesus. And there is much joy found in living for him and for his kingdom's sake. So let's rejoice to live for Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, he's the one who, at the end of the story, is not going to bless us with caviar wishes or champagne dreams, but the blessing of eternal life with his presence and his love and his joy forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, God. What a great passage that just reminds us, God, that our lives matter. The way that we live and conduct our lives here in this world matters. And so we first pause to give thanks, God, that you have transferred us from the the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your son. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are citizens 
of heaven. And we are waiting a Savior from heaven who will come for us one day. And so, God, I pray for those here today who are not yet citizens of heaven. God, if they've never repented and believed in Jesus, God, would you help them to do that today? God, would you give them, Lord, the joy of salvation even today for the first time? Draw them to yourself. Give them repentance. Give them faith, Lord, so they might believe and be saved. God, for those of us in Christ, would you help us to stand firm in our unity in the Spirit? To lean into one another and to to trust that the Spirit of Christ is at work even when we don't see it. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. That we would be here and we would be connected and we we would be used, Lord, for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, would you help us to suffer well? God, Paul is a great example to us of someone suffering well. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in this congregation who are great examples to us of people who have suffered well. God, would you help us to do that even more? To not be fearful, to not be frightened, to not be worried and anxious, but to stay confident and to believe somehow by your Spirit that suffering is actually a gift that you've granted to us, God. So help us to look to Christ who suffered first for us, who lived and died and rose again to give us hope and forgiveness, Lord, to give us the joy of eternity in his presence. So God, would you help us as we leave this place today and every moment from here until the next Sunday where we gather and do this again, every moment, would you help us to live worthy lives, lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.